This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. God intends marriage to be the picture of Christ and the church. God has created marriage to be a model, to be a mirror of something that is dear to Him, of what He calls His covenant, a covenant that He has made in the blood of His dear Son with His people in Jesus Christ. As God loves His bride, the church of Jesus Christ, so a husband is to love his wife. That's the burden of the Word of God to us today. We find it in Ephesians chapter 5, the verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. One reason why you cannot say too often that marriage is to be the picture of Christ in the church is that this reminds us that our marriage is based on grace. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is not, well, I will, if you will. But if we look at the relationship that exists between Christ and the church, it is, after all, all about grace. Christ chose the church by grace eternally in election. Christ, by his power and faithfulness, preserves the church. Christ obtained the church by his own blood. God, Christ pursued the church and made the church his own, and he will perfect the church by grace. We do not deserve any of this. Salvation is all of his grace. So, marriage is based on grace. The definition of marriage would be this. Two sinners, knowing the grace of Christ to them, and now bound for life, showing each day grace that they have tasted from God. In the last weeks we have emphasized that God's grace gives us as a husband and as a wife to forbear and to forgive our spouse the annoying idiosyncrasies, the sins and the weaknesses that become apparent in married life. Grace gives us to obey what we find in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Grace gives you the ability to live together in marriage. The emphasis on forgiving and forbearing in marriage is, after all, at the very center of our calling in Jesus Christ to all of us whether married or unmarried, male or female, young or old. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, And to him who smites you, offer the other cheek. And from him who takes your coat, give him your tunic. He said in verse 35, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. Now, if that 
is the general rule for the Christian. We are to return good for evil. How much more in our own marriages? These commands of God in Jesus Christ to return good for evil do not stop when you get married, but marriage is the opportunity given by God to exercise that grace. In marriage, we must find a way standing before the cross to maintain covenant-keeping love and forgiveness. But the grace of God does more. That's good news for us in the married state. The grace of God gives us to do something else as well. Not only does the grace of God give us the power to forgive and to endure when we believe that we have been sinned against, but it is also the power to change. It is also the wonderful power to stop sinning. The Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. He was a changed man by the grace of God. Christ's grace to his church, to us the bride, changes us. If you look back at the text that I read, Ephesians chapter 5, you'll note that the Apostle says that Jesus might sanctify and cleanse the church by the washing of water through the word. In other words, the grace that is in Jesus Christ changes the church. If the emphasis then on grace in our marriages were only that we are called then to forgive and to forbear, we might get the idea that God's word, that I am saying on the basis of God's word to married people, well, there's little hope. You'll just have to put up with this. Marriage is grin and bear it. No, there's more. Grace sanctifies, that is, makes holy. Grace changes. By the grace of God, before the cross, we begin to learn how to live pleasing to God in marriage. In fact, if you read chapter 5 of Ephesians, you'll find that the whole chapter is talking about the transforming power, the renewing power of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, husbands and wives are indeed to be ministers of the grace of God one to each other. We are then as a husband and wife to see our calling as to help each other to conform each other more and more to Christ and the church. It's not true when you hear the words, you can't change him. Well, it's true in the sense that you don't have the power. But it doesn't mean that husbands and wives are simply to be stuck in bad patterns of behavior. But we may be instruments of God's grace to each other, to change each other. In other words, marriage is not simply turn the other cheek. But as Christ and the church, and as Christ loved the church, so must be our marriage. God's grace and word do sanctify us in our Christian life. We do, never becoming perfect, but we do mature in faith, and so also in marriage. Marriage is the place where we are called to grow in grace. Marriage is not a static union. Marriage is an institution in which God will produce change, in which we are to grow up spiritually. We are to learn to stop some of those foolish, selfish, sinful things that we do hurting each other. You don't just keep on doing it. Yes, there must first be the grace to forgive. 
That's the foundation. And if we do not begin there, then it will not work. If we do not from the heart forgive, then all of our efforts to change the other person in marriage will sound like an ultimatum. If you don't, then I'm out of here. No. That's not Christ in the church. We do not become His by our obedience, but by His blood. And when He, our husband, calls us to change, then that call is the fruit of His wonderful grace. Because He forgives us, His grace makes us want to, to desire to be pleasing to Him, to change from a sinful way to a way that is pleasing to Him. In fact, the Christian experiences a burning desire to put away his sin and to be like Christ. Marriage, then, is to be the picture of Christ in the church in which we exercise forgiving grace, yes, but a grace to be conformed, to change, and to be instruments of change in each other so that we become what is pleasing to Him. So, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. The whole passage in Ephesians chapter 5 impresses on husbands that they are consciously and deliberately out of an obedience and allegiance to God to conform their actions and attitudes after Christ. God is saying something very simple here. Husband, you have to mirror to your wife what Christ is to his church. The comparison runs through the whole passage. We read in verse 23, For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Then later on we read that we are to nurture and cherish our wives as Christ the church. And then the apostle makes it very plain in verse 32 that all that he's saying about marriage has to do with Christ and the church. That means husbands. The one thing that you must do is to drink in Christ. If you are to be a good husband, you must immerse yourself in Jesus Christ. With the Apostle Paul, as he says in Philippians 3, you must have one holy passion that I might know him, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, you don't get that. You don't get yourself immersed in Christ in front of the television night after night. You don't get that by looking inside of yourself, but you get that in this blessed book called the Bible, and in its blessed doctrines, its beautiful truths. Let me give you a few suggestions of passages to make your meditation, your study, your intense, heartfelt quest to understand. Look into Colossians chapter 1, especially the passages beginning after verse 15, where Christ and the church is so beautifully explained for us. Look into Hebrews chapter 1, where Christ is taught to be the, the expressed image of God. Read Proverbs chapter 8. Make the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament an object of your study, and spend some time over Ephesians chapter 5. Pour over such passages and ask God, to make me know Christ, to walk with Christ, to obey Christ, to be like Christ to my wife. Now, when I say that we are to be like Christ to our wife, immediately 
I want to guard that statement from an abuse. I will not play into the hands of an attitude that is shown towards wives, an attitude of a small-minded, selfish, controlling husband who takes that statement, be like Christ to your wife, and takes that statement to mean, she better be what I want. I will change her to suit me. When you hear the words that you must be like Christ to your wife, it should not register in your mind as a lever and as a place of great great prominence over her so that now she has to be what you want, but it should make you tremble. The Apostle says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ. Be as Christ. But he does not say you are Christ. As does not mean that in every way you are like Christ. You are not. We are not as husbands. Christ is infinite. Christ is perfect. Christ is omnipotent. And we are not. Christ is infallible. Christ is sinless. And we are not. The goal that we have as a husband is that our wife serve Christ. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. The word love there is a reference to the pure and to the holy love of God in Jesus Christ. It's a cleaving together. It's a faithfulness to be together in holiness. We find this statement in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, And above all things put on charity or love, for charity is the bond of perfection. Charity or love is a bond in holiness. Now note with me that God gives it a command. Husbands, love your wife. In other words, love then is not primarily or first a feeling, but it is a grace that God gives to us when we are born again. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, He that loveth is born of God. To love means that you have been given in your heart by grace to know the amazing love of God to you, a faithful love that will not let you go, an infinite love that he gave his own son for your foul sins. Love now your wife as Christ loves the church. To do that means that you will, by faith, see your wife as God sees her. You will see her chosen in love, given God's Son to die for her, and that God will hear no charge brought against her as to any condemnation. It is to see your wife as Christ sees her, Christ working in her, Christ placing her close to you. It is by faith to see that God, in his all-wise and infinite love, gave your wife and your children to you, and they're perfectly right for you. And this love is an exclusive love. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ loves only the church. He says in Isaiah chapter 43 and Jeremiah chapter 33 and in many other places of Scripture, he says concerning the church, you, you, you alone are my love. You are my fair one. I have chosen you out of all the world to be my own. So when you as a man say to your husband, I love you, you say that to the girl that you marry on your marriage day, then that love is not simply a rush of 
emotions in a dark spot, but it means that you are saying, God has given me to know his love, and you, you my wife, you alone, you will reign in my heart. Without you, I am not complete. I will give my life for you, my thoughts, my heart, my body. I will protect you. I will guard you from evil. This love is a self-denying love. That's the most amazing part of this. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In his love, Jesus, our eternal husband, died on a cruel tree, a cursed tree of Calvary, in order that we, fallen sinners, might be his forever and ever, the debt and the filth of our sins, which called out for our damnation. He took that upon himself. He died. The scriptures declare, 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it was the just one who died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. The apostle says in Galatians chapter 2, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He emptied himself. He took on him the awful death and the punishment that is due to us. His love for us was unfathomed, immeasurable, unending, uncaused by us. He did not love us because we loved him. No, he loved we love him because he loved us. Now, as a husband, you must and I must love our wife as Christ loved the church by dying to yourself, by seeing your life expendable for her spiritual good and growth. It means that you go to work, 10 to 12 hours perhaps, to support your family, and you come home, you're tired. But to love your wife means that you listen to her. You talk to her, you hug her, you care for her, you pray with her, you encourage her, you counsel her, you comfort her, because she's more important to you than yourself. And when we get beyond the romance of that, when we get beyond the realization that that's not just a nice thing to say, but that's impossible, when we realize after a while that I'm not that way, I can't do that, and besides, my wife is not always the kind of person who makes it very easy to do those things, Reverend. Well, then, we get on our knees, and we listen to God, to the God who made us, and the God to whom we belong. Marriage, your marriage, is to be a picture of Christ in the church. Love her as Christ loved the church. Be like Christ, in this aspect, that you love her with a self-denying, sacrificial love. This is the most radical thing that the gospel has to say to a Christian man, to a Christian married man. You love by dying to yourself. To the unbelieving world, that's a conundrum. They can't figure that out. But it is no riddle to the child of God who stands before the cross. We are to love, and then we understand that the love that we are to show always comes at the cost of our own self and our own pride. And this is exactly what offends men. The gospel perhaps goes to, well, it does not perhaps, but it goes into all the world, into the United States, into India, into Asia, into Africa. And we hear that all cultures are equal and that we must leave these cultures alone. 
No, they're not. Africa and Asia and the United States, women are viewed as slaves to the pleasure of men. And the Christian gospel comes into those cultures and contradicts those cultures and says, Man, you are to love her by dying to yourself and find your treasure in the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you approach a woman? How do you approach your wife? You must die to yourself. You must seek to lead, direct, counsel, comfort her in such a way that she grows up into her Lord Jesus Christ. You are a servant to her. May God give us to know what it means to love our wife even as Christ loved the church. May he give us to know that out of a rich experience of his grace, to know the love of Christ to us, to one so undeserving. And may God give us to measure our love by the sufferings of Jesus Christ. May our love then for the wife be a vocal love that we tell her, a thoughtful love, a strong love in Christ which provides for her with protection. For the church is certainly safe in the love of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt the church never doubts, needs doubt, the love of Jesus. And may our love for our wives be practical. Maybe you come home and you say, Honey, I'd die for you. And there she is in the kitchen after a busy day with all the kids and the supper dishes all around. And she responds, Well, that's nice, dear. But while you are waiting to die for me, would you please load the dishwasher? That's the way you love your wife. You help her. You make your wife feel that she is treasured and that you will lay down your life for her in serving her spiritual good. May God give us that kind of love. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. It is a good word to us, a word that corrects us, a word that always points us to the cross for our strength and for our forgiveness. Now, Lord, work profoundly in our hearts that we may humble ourselves daily before the cross, confess our pride and sin, and live in that self-denying, sacrificial, and wonderful love of Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.